You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Alrighty, well we are back, uh, we are here, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Pastor Cameron told me earlier this week that he was going to be going on a revival trip and he'd be camping, asked me to preach and begin thinking and praying uh, early this week about where to go, what, what the Lord would have me to speak on tonight. And uh, picked up a magazine that I got in the mail, and it is 500 years ago, October 31st, that Martin Luther first went out and nailed 95 Thesis on the church door in, in a German town called Wittenberg. And I used to teach this in history class, and, and um, you know, we went to a, uh, a more conservative church, and and taught in a conservative school and all, which is fine. And, and uh, so we never mentioned the word Halloween. We never used the word Halloween. We never talked about Halloween. Okay. Uh, but we had October 31st, and all the kids were like, they knew what October 31st was. And so I finally said, well, guys, you know what October 31st really is? It's Reformation Day. So we always made a big deal about Reformation Day. But it's an important part. It's an important thing. And I was thinking about Martin Luther and uh, this week and... The, the, the issue, the magazine that I got was a, a Bible study magazine, and the whole issue is dedicated to that. It's a September-October type, you know, uh, magazine, two months at a time. And, and so the whole issue, everything about it was dedicated to different things, dealing with that and his life, and then also studying the Word of God. And one of the things that he did to kind of bring this into, because I know you're sitting there going, what does this have to do with anything? One of the things that he did was put out... Uh, uh, a commentary on the book of Romans. And uh, uh, it's that phrase in Romans, justified by faith, that got Martin Luther thinking in the first place about what it really is to be saved and got him thinking about some of the things that were going on in the church of that day that were not biblical and not true, and it got him thinking about what it really is to be a Christian and what it really is to be saved. And uh, that day that he would have put that thing up on the door... Sometimes uh, in history class, you know, you, or, or if you've ever learned about it, you may think there's some kind of like, you know, and they drew pictures of people standing back going, <gasps> you know, kind of, why is he putting this on the church door kind of thing. But, but the reality is, is that all he was doing was posting his class syllabus for college in Latin, not in German, okay? So keep that on a church door so that his students could come by and say, oh, I think I'm going to take Mr. Martin Luther's class this year. That's all he was really doing. But it turned into so much bigger thing uh, that gives us today the ability to... It, it, it put singing back into the people. It put the Word of God back into uh, people's hands, whereas before it had only been in Latin, and you couldn't read unless you knew Latin, and now we can read it, uh, the Word of God in our own language and have copies of it and and those kind of things. And so it really it became a bigger uh, event later on, but it was a very important thing. But, but his commentary in Romans was a very important uh, commentary. And, and I began thinking about the book of Romans, and that's what led me to this. So I'm giving you this big kind of roundabout rabbit story to let you know that's why one of the things I think God used this week to lead me into the book of Romans, which I, I love this book anyway. It's one of my favorite books. It's one of, 
uh, of the Bible. There's so much uh, uh, wealth in it of doctrine and of living, and it's just one of, the, one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Romans. And so as we get into it tonight, I wanted to look just kind of at two verses. A lot of stuff packed into Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we've read it here before, and I've seen it read before. I, I've got on here, um, one of the things I wear is a Romans 12, 1 and 2. I picked this up at a worship pastor conference. And it says, we are worship on one side, which is the name of the company, but Romans 12, 1 and 2, but we are worship. A living sacrifice is mentioned in Romans 12, 1. That we are a living sacrifice. And, and in the Old Testament, the sacrifice and, uh, was the temple worship as they brought that sacrifice in on a daily basis. In the Old Testament, established by God, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then moving into the temple that was built later on. Uh, and so uh, all of those things, it just it's one of my favorite verses. I think it's a verse that I, I come back to over and over again. I've seen it in multiple different places lately, and it's really been on my mind and heart a lot. So I just want to share a few things tonight specifically from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so we'll read it together here. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And as we have talked about in different ways, we've studied different books of the Bible where Paul has, has read most recently in our study of the church, Connected. We looked at different passages from the book of Ephesians. And, and Paul's writing style in a lot of different ways was, first, he takes and he explains some doctrinal truth. Okay, He talks about salvation, talks about grace, talks about uh, different doctrinal truths that we hold dear in Christian faith and what true Christianity is. And then later on in that same book, he usually will come to a place where he begins explaining how we take that doctrinal truth and then apply it to our life and then live appropriate Christian life in front of the world. And that's a similar thing here again as we see in Romans as we're going to get into uh, verse, or, or chapter 12, verse number 1, that again, Paul has spent the first part of this book up through chapter 11 explaining different doctrinal truths and talking about grace and talking about liberty and talking about freedom in Christ. Uh, and now he's going to say, listen, here's how you need to live now based on the doctrines that I've already explained to you. And we see that from that little word, therefore, again, look back at 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore... And I'm not the originator of this statement. I've heard other people say it. And I said it one time before in here. But when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to find out what it's there for. Okay? What is it there for? Okay? And so Paul here is shifting gears and he's saying, I'm beseeching you, therefore. Therefore what? Therefore based on the fact that we have freedom in Christ, that we're no longer... Uh, uh, living in sin. We no longer have that living in sin. The old man is dead. The old nature is dead when we're in Christ because of the freedom that he gives in those things. Uh, we now no longer have to live the same way that we, had, that we had to live before. Our life can be different. Our life can be changed. Our life should be different. Our life should be changed. And so our therefore now is shifting gears and he's saying, okay, here's what we do now in light of all that we've already talked about. The Bible gives us doctrine, which is important for understanding our faith. It's very important. I'm reading a book right now, uh, and it was, he was talking about this the other day. It's actually a worship book, 
but he's talking about how important the doctrinal truth of Scripture is to understand before we can even talk about worship or music or any of those other things that go along with a church service. We've got to have a proper understanding of why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. And so, and a lot of times we don't have that. And so what we're getting into here is we've got to understand the doctrine, and when we understand the doctrine, it helps us to live more the way that Christ wants us to live. It also helps us to be able to live out the what Christ wants us to do. As Pastor Cameron uh, mentioned this verse this morning, I'll mention it again as well, Acts 1.8, here, there, and everywhere, the will of God and doing the will of God uh, and pr- proving the will of God uh, in our lives. And so just two big things today, the plea that Paul gives and then the prescription for how we're to carry it out. So Romans 12.1 again, the plea. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I'll stop right there for just a minute. The plea is present your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice. And Paul uses that word beseech, by the way, uh, as a way to, um, I guess you could almost say soften the blow or or uh, make it more easier to uh, swallow or to make it more loving because Paul's an apostle. And Paul has authority from God uh, as an apostle, apostle, again, that I've always been taught as a person who's actually seen physically the risen Christ, okay? And, and so Paul did, on the road to Damascus, see the risen Christ. And, and so as an apostle, he had that authority there to say something like, I command you, I want you, I'm telling you, this is what you have to do, you have to do this. But instead, Paul takes a road and says, these people that I'm writing to, I love them. I love them enough to tell them in a way that's going to uh, help them. And so it's love that motivates him to say, I beseech you, therefore, because that word beseech has a way of almost saying, please, I'm just, I'm asking very, it's like asking very, very nicely. A very, very nice, humble uh, uh, way of asking someone to do something for you. Not in a prideful way, not in a big way, not in a, hey, you have to do this. He's taking the path of love and saying, I love you guys enough. I'm beseeching you. I want you to do this because I love you. And he could have commanded them, but he didn't. He chose that instead. And we see that because he says what? Brethren. Brethren. Talking to fellow Christians, talking to people that he cares about and loves and saying, I beseech you, brethren. And he does this by the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And God's mercy, I read this today in Matthew Henry's commentary, it was, it was pretty amazing, but God's mercy is both a spring and a stream because God's mercy, it comes from him, it's the source, like a spring is where the water comes from, it's the source of the water, okay? And the stream is it's flowing, but God has mercy in his nature, is mercy, and it comes from him, but it also flows uh, uh, to us. And so in those ways, God's mercy is both a spring and a stream. And that mercy there, the daily blessings, the daily things that we take for granted uh, in our lives, or the daily things that we have because of Christ, because of uh, uh, salvation in Christ, because of our position now. Um, but even the little things, like waking up in the morning, you know, it's a blessing. And we take a lot of things for granted. We think, oh, well, tomorrow I'll be able to do this, and tomorrow I'll be able to, and we really don't know. And so every day that we wake up is the mercies of God. Lamentations 3.22 says, So the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. But also Christ and his mercy 
gave us the ultimate example in that he gave himself completely, body and soul, for us. And so the mercy comes from God, but it also flows from God. And so he's saying here at the beginning, I beseech you, therefore, based on all I've already taught you, I'm asking you in a very, very nice way that you present your body as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice for God. And that living sacrifice is very important. And Paul is referencing back into some Old Testament uh, things. But also there's, of course, sacrifices that had been made, no doubt, throughout the years to uh, heathen gods, little g, of course, little g God, by different cultures. They've made sacrifices of animals or whatever, you know. And uh, so the idea of sacrifice here is not unknown to the Roman people. But in the Old Testament, when, when, uh, when an offering was brought to the priest, uh, that, that lamb or the dove or whatever it was, uh, we talked about this the other night, there's all kinds of, in our, in our Bible study at home, there were grain offerings, there were animal sacrifices, there were all kinds of sacrifices. But when it was brought, that animal sacrifice was actually killed by the priest. It wasn't actually killed by the person that was bringing it, Okay. Uh, what happened was, if you've read this in the Old Testament, the person offering it would bring the animal in to the temple there, or the tabernacle in the, in, in the wilderness there before they built the temple. And he would put his hand on that animal's head. And in that way, he was signifying that his sin, the guilt, the control of that animal, that it's in his control because he brought it, it's his flock, it's from him, but he's giving all of that over now to the priest, and he's giving it all over ultimately to God. He's transferring all those things, and that sin, the rights that he had over that animal, I mean, it's his rights, in a sense, he didn't have to bring that animal. Could have disobeyed the Old Testament command, could have disobeyed God, and just not brought a sacrifice at all, but he's transferring all of that, and the priest is the one that actually kills the animal. Today, we're not called, and I want to use this carefully because I know there's a lot of Christian martyrs, but, but understanding what we're, we're not called in the exact same way to be killed in that way, uh, but we are called to give up those rights, to give up that control to God. We are called to give up the control of our lives. Christ wants us to be a living sacrifice so that we can go and share with the gospel with other people, so that we can go out and, and, and perform the things that he has asked us to do in, in the word so that other people can be saved, that we can be a witness and a light to other people. But we can't do that if we're in control of our lives. And so just like that person in the Old Testament was surrendering rights and surrendering control, and then the animal was killed, we are as well to put that old nature aside and surrender control. Surrender Because our flesh wants to do our own thing, does it not? We wake up every day and we feel like we're going to do whatever we want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do today. And we have to overcome that day by day by day. And we have to put that aside and say, no, God, it's yours today. I'm not, I'm not going to try to take it from you. I'm not going to have any control today. It's all in your control. And we surrender those things. We're not to walk anymore in the ways of the flesh. We're not to walk anymore in pleasing our own selves in a similar way to that that man in the Old Testament who would put the, his hand on that animal before it was sacrificed. And so a living sacrifice. We're called to be alive in Christ, but dead to our old nature. And then we see uh, after that, we're called to be, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. 
And there were all kinds of requirements of those offerings in the Old Testament as well. Uh, the offerings there, they had, there was a firstborn. It had to be the best. There couldn't be a spot or a blemish. It was set apart from all the other animals. It was different. So it had to be those things in order for it to be an acceptable offering. It couldn't, have, it couldn't be, you know, the lamb with the broken leg that you, you know, oh, I can't do anything else with this lamb. I'm going to go give it to God. It couldn't be, you know, the ugly one or whatever. You know, it had to be the best, the firstborn, without spot, without blemish. And a lot of those things, again, as we look through the Old Testament, and you read some of those things, and, and listen, we'll just be honest, okay? Sometimes when you read all the different things, it, it, it gets a little tedious, okay? Because there's a lot of, I know, there's a lot of uh, 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 laws and this, that, and do this, and do this, and okay? But the whole point of that, what, is to point to Christ as the Messiah, because Christ was the perfect son of God. Christ was the perfect lamb. Christ had no spot. Christ had no blemish. Christ had no sin in him. And so all those Old Testament things, whether they're talking about the temple and the way the temple had to be constructed and all these different things or how the sacrifice was supposed to be offered and all the different ways and all those things were supposed to point to the people and say, hey, listen, you can't do this on your own. This system is set up now, but there's going to be a better way and it's going to be Jesus Christ. It's going to be the Messiah. And when he comes, all of this other stuff will pass away and he will be the final sacrifice. He will be the final offering that ever has to be made. But all that stuff was pointing to that. And so that's why it goes through all these different details and requirements and things that we read in the Old Testament. But ultimately, it was to point to Christ. Well, translating that to us today, it, it, it points uh, uh, in the way that we are supposed to give our offerings today, in the way that we are supposed to give ourselves today as that living sacrifice, that our sacrifice to God, our life to God, is to be holy and acceptable, that we don't live in the same ways we used to live. 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says this, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They first give to God. And so when we look into that pattern of the Old Testament, we see that the first is what's given. The firstborn is given. When we come, we had, uh, Dan and I were talking about this on the way back from the lake this morning. Uh, Sunday is the first day of the week. And sometimes you see different calendars now, and they're trying to put Sunday at the end, you know, because people think that way now. We're Monday through Friday, I go to work, and Saturday and Sunday I'm off. So that's the weekend. But Sunday really is the first day of the week still. And so that's why those calendars are set up that way. Sunday and then Saturday on this end, you know. That's the first day. So why do we go to church on the first? We give the first day of each week to God. We were talking about that a little bit today on the ride over here. Um, we give the first of our, of our income. We give the first of the increase. We give the first of what we have. Why? Because that's in the Old Testament, the pattern that is there. Christ is the firstborn of God, okay? And so he is the last Adam. There was an Adam, and then he is the last Adam, uh, as the Scripture says there in Hebrews. And, and, and we give the first. We give the best to God. When we give something to God as a living sacrifice, we don't want to give God the leftovers. And that doesn't matter what it, I'm not, you know... I'm not specifically talking about money or anything here, okay? I'm talking about any kind of God offering that we give to God. Anything that we give to God should be the best that we give to God. Okay? That we're not giving what's left, we're giving what's right. You ever seen, you ever seen that before? We're giving our best to God. We're not giving to God something that's tainted by the world or something that we're trying to hold on to for ourselves. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve in this way, God, but I'm, I'm hoping that if I'm serving over here, people are going to recognize me that I'm doing something really cool and good for you. You know, that's, that's tainted. That's not 
pure, but we're giving holy. And then we read later on in the Old Testament in Psalm 51 that it's not just the offering that was important. It's not just what was given and how it was. It was, it was how the person's heart was. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And David has just talked about the sin that he had, had been in and been found out and and he's confessing to God with his sin with Bathsheba. And he says, I'm not offering to you right now the blood of bullocks and all this kind of things, because that's not what you really want from me. What you really want from me is a right heart. And that's what God wants from us still today as a living sacrifice. He wants a right heart, a right spirit before him. When that person brought that lamb to the temple, they were to give that freely, a free will offering to God without holding anything. And ourselves, we give ourselves first freely to God. Remembering that it's an act of worship that they were doing. When they brought that lamb to the tabernacle, to the temple, they were worshiping God through that sacrifice. And today, again, it's the same thing. When we bring our offerings, when we bring ourselves, when we give ourselves to God, we are worshiping Him through that act. And so we want to give the best. Remember worship, I've, I've, I've said this before, but, but worship is used to be spelled worth-ship. Worth-ship. Meaning I'm ascribing to God the worth that He deserves. I'm giving to God the worth that He deserves. And the praises. So our living sacrifice today must also be given out of a right heart with the proper motivation. We're in the book of Romans. Just turn back a few pages there to Romans chapter 6. But that sacrifice there, living sacrifice, was supposed to be holy and acceptable to God as well, which means all that old life, all that old way of living, that old way of thinking should be put aside as well, that holy and set apart. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 13 says this, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, <coughs> Excuse me. but yield yourselves unto God and those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Paul's talking to people after salvation. He says, listen, don't, don't give in to those temptations like you used to before. Don't go into doing something wrong. Don't go into that sin again as you did before. Now go and, and serve God with your body. We're serving God with our body, with our soul. Both. Serve God with those things. Don't yield your members. Look at verse number 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Remember, Paul has already explained this, and he's saying, therefore, wholly acceptable, because what would happen is someone could look at Romans chapter like 1 through 7 or 8 or so, and they could say, hey, you know what? Based on what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 through 8 or so, I, I can live however I want to live because grace is going to overcome it and, and I'm going to be forgiven and I can just do whatever I want to do now. And God says, no, that's not, what, that's not what I want. Paul says, that's not the way to live. Don't yield yourselves that way anymore. Wholly acceptable, being set apart for special use by God. Verse number 19 in Romans chapter 6. Still the same chapter, verse, six, or verse 19, chapter 6. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members to serve servants unto to uncleanness and iniquity in iniquity, even so now yield ye your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. 
So Paul says we are not to live in the same way that we used to live. We're not to go about doing the same thing. We are to be holy and acceptable to God as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. And so going back into Romans chapter 12 now, verse number 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I'm asking you nicely, my brothers in Christ, by God's mercies that we have daily, that you give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and look at that last part of verse number 1, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. And God is not unreasonable in the things that he's asking. Turn over uh, in, your, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Not too far from where you are. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. There's a very important principle here in Romans chapter number 6 that we're going to get from two verses. Romans chapter 6, verses 13, and then we'll skip over to verse 20. Romans 6.13 says this, Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And look over at verse number 20 now. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's two important things here to note from these two Bible verses. The Corinthians had this theory they were living their life by that, like we said a minute ago, we can do whatever we want, we're okay, we're going to live the same way, we're not going to change the way our lifestyle is, we're just going to keep going. And, Paul said, and that's what that first part says there, meats for the belly, belly for the meats, you know, do whatever you want to do, do what feels good, okay, live the way you want to live. But Paul says, no, that's not right. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, the Lord for the body, that we can glorify God through what we do in both body and spirit. And we now, as Christians, should live in a way which glorifies God, both in body and spirit. And the reason is found in verse number 20. You're bought with a price. The price, Christ's death on the cross. The price that was paid, Christ's death on the cross. And ultimately, if you get in a little bit, as I was thinking about this too, as you get into the study more, Ephesians 2.10 gives us a little bit more insight as to our purpose here. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What's the purpose of a person's life? To worship God, to live a holy life, to live a holy and worshipful life to God, to do good works. So we're created by God, and then he redeemed us from the fall through his son Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So we're owned twice, Okay. We're owned twice. He created us and he redeemed us. He bought us back from the world through his blood. And so at this point now, we're saying, okay, it's our reasonable service. It's not unreasonable when Christ gave us the example that he gave himself up completely. Gave himself up completely and fully for us. It's not unreasonable then for us to then give up ourselves to him. And not in a way that we can pay him back because there's no way to pay Christ back for the debt. There's no way, and it's not it's a free gift. It's not meant to be paid back. But the idea there is that because he withheld nothing, we withhold nothing. He withheld nothing, we withhold nothing. And so we give that and we glorify God both in our body and our spirit, which is our reasonable service. Our true purpose is to worship Christ and to do good works. When we live a correct Christian life, we're doing our reasonable service and we're fulfilling the purpose of our creation 
This is why unsafe people often find it hard to find true happiness and peace because we're living a lifestyle that cannot give either one of those. You can't find true happiness and true peace in a worldly lifestyle or in a lifestyle apart from Christ, a life apart from Christ. You can't find it. It will never satisfy And so when we are living in Christ the correct way, we're finding our true purpose and our true joy coming from Christ. So again, Paul is saying, and I'm asking you nicely, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But he goes on, and this is the next part here, the prescription. Romans 12, 2. Read it with me here, back in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we go about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice? How do we go about being holy and acceptable to God? How do we go about fulfilling our reasonable service? We are not conformed to this world, first of all. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, don't be conformed to this world. 1 Peter chapter number 1. We'll get a little bit more uh, insight here into this word conformed. It says in verse number 14, 1 Peter 1, 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And right there, Peter is quoting an Old Testament principle from the book of Leviticus. Be holy, for I am holy. And in these letters that we see, the prescription on how to be holy begins with not conforming. Conforming is like taking on the shape of something. If I had some Play-Doh up here or some Silly Putty, and I took it in my hands and kind of put it right here in the corner of the pulpit and molded it around into the corner right here, you know, it wouldn't look exactly like that wood right there, but it would be in that same shape, that corner right there, because it's soft and moldable and it could go right around that. And if I did that, that piece of Play-Doh would be conformed to the pulpit because it's taken on the characteristics of this corner right here. It's got a beveled edge maybe, and it's got a sharp point on the end, it's got a corner in it. It looks, you know, it's conformed to that. That's what being conformed means, to be taking on that shape, the characteristics of something. And so we are to not be conformed. We are to not take on the characteristics of the world around us. The world around us says, serve yourself, do what you want to do, okay? Burger King philosophy, have it your way, right? We are not to take on the characteristics, but rather we are to be different. If we look at ourselves as vessels of God being used by God, The vessels in the temple of the Old Testament were sanctified and set apart for special use. As a living sacrifice, we are to be set apart by God for use in His plan. You're there in 1 Peter. You're not too far away. Turn over to 1 John. 1 John. Chapter number 2 and verse 15. How do we keep ourselves from that conformity, being conformed? How do we not take on the characteristics of the world around us? We're living in it. It's hard not to. How do we not take on those characteristics? Well, 1 Peter, or 1 John, excuse me, 2.15. 
Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Verse 17, And the world passeth away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Love not the world. How is it that we are not conformed? We don't love the world. We keep our focus on our true love, Christ. We keep our focus on, on, uh, on things of, of the Spirit, on things that we, that we get from God's Word every day. We keep our true focus on Christ and our true love there, and then our focus doesn't get off onto ourselves and what we desire. It doesn't get off onto the world's way of thinking. And through God's Word and through our focus being on our true love, we are daily transformed. It's a daily process allowing God's Word to transform us daily. It doesn't happen overnight. We go against what the world tells us to do. And I've mentioned this before too, but it's easy to get brainwashed into that thinking of the world of what can I get out of the deal that I'm in? How can I serve myself? What can I get out of this today that's going to help me the most? That's when our brainwashing begins. We begin thinking in that way. But really what Christ wants us to be is transformed through that constant exposure to God's Word, through being in Word, through being in intimate fellowship with God, through prayer and through Bible reading, through coming in and learning about God, through, through uh, Bible uh, studies, getting into Bible discussion, Bible groups, getting good uh, uh, Bible teaching, maybe on the radio, different people that you may listen to on the radio, but being surrounded and saturated by God's Word, being transformed into uh, uh, more like Christ rather than being conformed to this world. And that brings us to the next part there of being transformed. Ephesians 1.18 says this. You can go back to Romans chapter 12. Ephesians 1.18 says this. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Christ wants us to know these things and he wants our enlightening to be opened up, our eyes of understanding to be opened up. That's why he says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, a continual process of change. Through the daily sacrificing of ourselves, putting ourselves on the altar, putting ourselves aside and saying, I don't want my desires today, God, I want your desires today, I want your will today in my life, and putting myself aside, those things will bring the desires of Christ into our lives. Those things will allow us to begin being transformed uh, uh, to become more like Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 21. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and true holiness, putting on the new, taking off the old. A living sacrifice puts off the old nature. A living sacrifice puts off that old desire to serve itself and gives full control to Christ. And so we too give full control to, our, to Christ in our bodies and our souls to serve Him. And finally here, prove the will of God. To prove the will of God. I'll read a couple of verses to you here. Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We've already seen this verse a couple of different times in other studies that we've done, but God wants us to know what, our will, what the will is. God wants us to do that. In the Experiencing God study, we saw that God wants us to see where the will of God is and to join Him in His work, to join Him in His will. 
Uh, and so he doesn't want us to be unwise. He doesn't want us to walk around not knowing what to do. But we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind daily so that we're not conformed to the world, so that we are able then to be wise and understanding his will. Colossians 3.10, have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We must have our minds renewed in order to properly understand the will of God for our lives, for the church, for what he wants. When we're living sacrifices, we're servants of him. This is kind of a, a logical order here from the things, but if you say to God, okay, I'm a living sacrifice to you, I'm surrendering myself today, you don't have control over your life, you don't have control over yourself anymore, you have the Holy Spirit is controlling you, and you're, not, you're, you're following to seek after his will, when God says, okay, here's my will, now we're servants. We don't have the option to say, well, you know, I don't think I want to do that after all. It's a logical order. As we, give, as we become a living sacrifice, that control has been transferred from us to God. We become a servant. We prove or show God's will in our lives through a change in our desire and purpose. We show God's will by not living after the world, but in knowledge. 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Self-control, how to control ourselves in situations, all those things. How to uh, uh, live a right life before others is found in God's word, that we know how to possess our vessel, that we know how to control and be uh, uh, proper in the face of things that come at us. God's will is good because it is from God. Micah 6, 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord uh, require thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. God's will provides what we need so we can be thoroughly furnished. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And as we go through our lives, as we are that daily sacrifice, as we give that over to God and say, all right, today, God, I'm putting myself aside. I want your will. I want your way. Today, I want to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. We are being changed. And we are being made more into the image of Christ. We are transformed by that grace to know those things, to prove the will of God. And so that others around us may too see Christ and may be saved as well. And so each day we are to be a living sacrifice, to take the truths of the Bible and live a life which is honoring to Christ, to take the doctrines as Paul has done here, to take those doctrines and apply them to our lives in a way that shows uh, a changed life, a different lifestyle because of what Christ has done in us, that we are transformed by grace.